the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Rosenthal Wealth Management. It's time now for Making Money Sense, live with Larry Rosenthal. Larry is recognized as one of the nation's leading financial and retirement planners and is here to answer your questions right now. Author, speaker, and talk show host Larry Rosenthal is dedicated to teaching others financial stewardship from a biblical point of view. Call Larry now. Studio lines are open at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Making Money Sense is on the air. Well, thanks for joining us again for Making Money Sense, the Larry Rosenthal Show. And here he is, our financial and retirement expert in studio, Larry himself. Good morning, sir. Well, good morning, Chris. And how are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Pretty well. Anything new in your world? New in my world? Uh, no, same old stuff. Yeah, yeah. Stock, <laughs> yeah. stock market. De Mayo today. Cinco, oh, it is. Yes. Wow. Yes, yes, yes. So that's very good, right? Yeah. I don't really understand the whole meaning behind it, but okay. What is it? <laughs> I, I'm. You're you like know. me on that one. Okay, <laughs> I got it. Anyway, it is okay. today. So much for that. Yeah. Well, Glad good morning, everyone, and welcome to Making Money Sense, Larry Rosenthal Show here. We're coming here live again to bring you financial education and answer any and all of your financial planning, investment questions that you may have, questions on the economy, estate planning, wills, trust, insurance, cash flow, retirement strategies, whatever it is. I'll keep our phone lines open here throughout the show this morning at 888. I'm sorry. 855. 855- Eight five five Rose one two three. Boy, Chris, we're just both off to a bad start this morning, right? Eight five five Rose one two three. There you go. With any of your questions at all, so we'd like to start the show off each week with what the market's doing and the economy and things. Not a lot of changes this past week in the economy, as far as that goes. Uh, but you know, the markets had a, a, a sort of a rebounding day yesterday, on on Friday. So let me just give you some year-to-date numbers here. The Dow Jones, which is the the most you know, looked after index in, 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 in the three bigs, the Dow Jones, the S&P, and the NASDAQ. So the Dow Jones represents 30 of the largest companies, and it's down 1.85% for the year. The S&P 500 is down 0.38 for the year. And then small company stocks are down, are, are actually up 196 for the year. So when you stop and you take a look at, at the, oh, and by the way, the NASDAQ is up 4.44 for the year. So when you stop and you take a look at, you know, where we are, last year the S&P 500 did 19%. Year to date right now, it's down 0.38. So basically it's been flat. And a lot of people have been, have been having anxiety over this because in January of this year, the market did another 6%. So last year it did 19 January did six, and it's given back the six right now, but it's basically flat for the year. So when you're looking at your investments and you're, and you're, you're calculating your year-to-date return or your statement shows you your year-to-date return or you go online and you look at your year-to-date return, remember that 
to compare your holdings versus the most appropriate benchmark or, in, or index that they're they're being compared against. For example, if you have a lot of a lot of your portfolio, let's say in technology, which is up four percent for the year, and you're comparing it against the S and P five hundred, which is down point three eight. Well, then you know you're you're obviously going to be beating that index, but you need to compare it against the tech index, and vice versa. If you have a lot of your holdings in the S and P five hundred and you're comparing it against the, the tech index or small company stocks. So you want to look at, at how to break out your portfolio and, 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 and compare it appropriately. Your statements may be able to give you some assistance on that. If not, your financial advisor definitely could as, as far as breaking it all out, giving it what we, what we would call a comparative or appropriate benchmark uh, scenario there. So all in all, the markets are flat pretty much for the year. We need to get past uh, what's, what uh, interest rate policies, which will be coming up here soon, as well as the tariff uh, discussions. You know, once all the tariff stuff starts to, to play out, then Wall Street, again, is going to get clarity of direction, and people will know where we should move our money to or away from in order to keep things uh, moving in the right direction there. So all in all, things look, things look pretty good, pretty optimistic over the next 12 to 18 months or so. Nice. In the markets, yep, absolutely. So, hey, you know, I was I was thinking, um, uh, well, l l l let's take a look here, c continuing talking about the markets a little bit. You know, the total return of the S&P 500 from 2008 through 2017, the last 10 years, was 8.5%. Okay, so if you just put the money in and, and stayed there, you'd got, you would have received 8.5%. Now I'm ignoring fees and taxes and all that kind of stuff, whatever, depending on where the money's in, invested. But if during that 10-year period of time, you missed the 10 best percentage days over the 10 years, then your 8.5% return would have dropped to 1.3% return. Hmm. So just by being in and out of the market and just guessing wrong and missing the 10 uh, best performing days, uh, of uh, the 10% of them, you'd have cut your return down from 8.5% down to 1.3%. Well, it's what you always say. It's time in the market and staying it, in the market. That's exactly right, Chris. It is time in the market. It's not timing of the market. And on the other side, too, if you would have avoided, if you would have been incredibly lucky and able to win the lottery ticket every single year and miss the 10 worst trading days, okay, then your return would have gone from 8.5% up to 168 which would have been huge, right? Yeah, Think but, about that. But who sees that crystal but ball? What kind of risk are you taking getting yeah. in and out of the market? Right, You're risking giving up the 8.5 to possibly get 1.3 or to possibly get 16.8. Boy, I take 8.5 every year. Okay, <laughs> sure. you know, think about that. That's pretty strong. That's pretty good. So, so remember again, it's time in the market. It's not timing of the market. And and if you're you're you know, so so we just need to wait through this flat period of time for fiscal change to take place, as well as monetary policy, and and things should be okay there. So, hey, let's open up our our uh, phone lines here. Give us a ring at eight five five Rose one two three. That's eight five five seven six seven three one two three. With any of your investment questions, financial planning questions, how are your portfolios doing today, how are your bond portfolios doing today in light of the rising interest rates. Give us a call. We're happy to talk to you about it, any subject at all, 855-ROSE-123. You're listening to Making Money Sense. I'm Larry Rosenthal. We'll be back in a moment.
listening to Making Money Sense Live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. Have you ever wanted to be part of something big? Nonprofit organization called Stars Children Africa. Do you want to be a part of something that changes a child's life? Orphans who are high school age who would not have a chance to get education otherwise. Now you can be part of something that brings hope. What we do is we actually pay for the school fees. For about the cost of a new suit, you can change an orphan's future for a whole year. We pay for the school fees, and that averages around $500 to $550 a year total. That means food, lodging, the teaching, the education part, the the uniform, that whole thing. Call now, 703-201-2494, or go to starschildrenafrica.org. For a dollar and a half a day, one child would be educated for that year in high school. 703-201-2494. Call right now. For $500 a year, you can change an orphan's life. 703-201-2494. You're listening to the Larry Rosenthal Show. If you'd like to dial in, telephone number is 855-767-3123. 855-ROSE-123 to talk to Larry Rosenthal, our financial and retirement expert here in studio. Give us a call now to talk about anything related to your finances. Larry. New Gallup polls out, Chris. I mm. love these polls and surveys. I'd love to see the questions. I've never been asked any of the questions. You ever been involved in a survey? I have those telephone surveys, you know, political surveys. People will call you on the phone and ask you questions, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah. So I've never really been involved in, in one of these financial surveys or anything. I've, I've done industry surveys, but not like the, what, what they're talking about here. But a new Gallup poll is out, and uh, it's pretty interesting. Uh, they, they surveyed in April this year. 1,015 people, and 34% of them said that they picked real estate as their best long-term investment today, and 26% of them selected stocks as their top choice for long-term investments today. And this is just willy-nilly Joe Public. Yep, I guess so, yeah. So so it's kind of interesting to me to, to look at that because – I, you know, you're reading the headline of this. I'm, I'm sure it's great and everything. I, I would like to see what are the other questions. Were there other questions involved in this? Because And what are the ages of these people that are selected? Because, you know, if, if, if you're sitting there and you're you're 65 and you're going, wow, maybe I should get into real estate. Or, or wow, I'm 32, maybe I should get into real estate. You know, you have to really understand each investment has a different objective to it, a different time frame, a different business cycle to it. Uh, There's different economic forces that make certain investments do well and other investments do poorly. Uh, So, so, you know, you really have to break down and, and really take a look at how these investments work, what your objectives are. So when I see headlines like this, it's always interesting to me to find out, well, what was more involved in the survey and things like that. So basically to recap you know, make sure that you're just that you're looking at what your investments are and and matching the appropriate investments designed for that. You know, if you want income, real estate's a great great uh, vehicle to provide income. But what type of real estate and what what structure is that real estate in in order to provide the income that you want and you need? Uh, so if you take a rental property, most people think real estate. Okay, I want to get a rental house. 
you know, and, and, and they buy the house and they, they, they get a renter and they're making $200 a month positive cash flow on that, on that income, on, on the property. Sounds great, right? Well, what happens if the, you know, the, the, the renter leaves and you can't rent it for five months or something like that? On the other hand, what are your plans for long term to hold this rental property? Are you going to try and pay it off, accelerate payments on this, take out a 15-year mortgage and then dump more money into it over time? Because imagine if the mortgage on this, on, on this thing was two grand a month, and then you were able to get this thing paid off in, in 8 or 10 or 12 years. And now you're getting that free cash flow of $2,000 a month. Nice. Right? Yeah, that'd be great. Exactly. So, so the days from 2000 and up to 2007, when you would buy a piece of property, and then seven or eight months later, you'd, you'd get fifty, seventy thousand $70,000 of equity growth inside that property. They're not here today. No, they were in 2008, and they were kind of false. <laughs> In the end. So, so, well, yeah, I mean, the, the market bubbled up and it popped. So, so it, when you're looking at buying real estate today, you have to go into it with the, the understanding of what your objective is. Is your objective to, it, to receive long-term growth of equity inside the property, or is it to get as much current income or future income out of the property as possible? In other words, the, the days of flipping it, are really not there right now in this marketplace. Uh, one of the good signs on real estate, though, is is that the inventories are very low and there's still demand. So, so we are seeing properties sell quickly, but we're not seeing the acceleration of equity appreciate. You know, over two, three, four year period of time where you can, like it was back in the in the early 2000s. So, when when we see these scenarios here. Take a look at understanding, you know, maybe this, these people were, were, were 70 years old that were surveyed, okay, and maybe, maybe they all had rental properties that were paid for, and they're going, yeah, this is great, yeah. you know, but, but the 45-year-old's going, well, how do I get there? Well, you're going to get there in 20 years, okay, so, <laughs> so stop and break it down and think about it, and then also on the stock part. You know, how old were these people? Were, were they 32 years old? And they said, yeah, stocks is the way to go because I need growth, growth, growth. Or maybe somebody's seventy years old and they're going. Well, hold on a second. You know, I need I need dividend income coming from my stocks. Uh, I need I need preferred dividends. I need I need bonds. I need tax free bonds I- income as well. So so take a look at all these things and, and really it's just a lesson when I see these surveys, which are good and they're good news and stuff like that. But at at the same time, want to make sure that it matches up with what your objectives are. You know, you you don't want to basically. You know, uh, it, it's not your grandparents' investment portfolio. In, in a lot of cases, it's not your parents' investment portfolio. You know, we're living a lot longer today, and and we have to make sure that our money outpaces taxes and inflation and understand the risk, the economic impact if things go wrong in certain areas, how that will impact whatever investment strategy you may have. So. When you're talking about real estate investment also, do you really want to be a landlord? That's another consideration because of all the maintenance and, you know, having to deal with renters. and It's just not – it's not for everybody. Well, it's not. You know, there's a lot of pros and cons to, to real estate, as, as well as every investment, Chris. You know, there's pros and cons to putting money in a CD in the bank. There's pros and cons to real estate. There's pros and cons to, to buying gold. All of these things have and pros personality and personality traits, right? I mean, it depends on what you're good at and what you really enjoy doing, too. You don't want to get locked correct. into something you don't want to do. That, that's exactly correct. That, 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 that is right. So, you know, one of the things that we wanted to talk about today here also was um, – 
uh, sort of the changing, talking about bonds and income and, and things like that, the changing in municipal bond market. You know, municipal bonds are issued by state and local governments, and, and the investment objective by that is to deliver federally income tax-free income. And at the same time, if you happen to buy a municipal bond in the state you live, then the, then it, then the income yielded on that, the interest yielded on that, is exempt from state income taxes. And some states that have local taxes, if it's in the local municipality, that's exempt as well. So, so when we take a look at, at what's going on in the municipal bond market today, we've got a couple of scenarios that are happening. Again, the primary investment objective of, of munis or municipal bonds is to deliver tax-free income, okay, and, and sort of a safe environment when it, when it comes to people wanting their, their income coming into them for retirement years. And, and for the first time since, since uh, uh, 1981, really, we're starting to see municipal bonds have the worst performance, Okay. Now, now they've leveled out a little bit here. So, from January to April of this year was the, has been the worst performance in municipal bond market since 1981. It's leveled out a little bit right now in in April, and some of the pressures that are coming upon the municipal bond interest or, or, or the municipal bond market, believe it or not, is the tax cuts that we just went through. Mm-hmm. At the same time, rising interest rates. All right. So, so here's the way that that it that it Play, plays all out. So stop and think about it for a second. If you're in a municipal bond fund or you own a municipal bond by yourself and all of a sudden you got a tax break because the tax code just dropped, then your 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 value of your tax-free income has become less depending on what tax break you went down to. All right? So when you when you stop and you and you, and you take a look at this here, you also see that that the municipal that the municipal bond market is getting hurt because of interest rates rising as well. So over the last several years, I'm sorry, over the last uh, three or four years since the ten-year Treasury note was at its low low in in uh, 2016, municipal bonds have lost about 20 some percent as interest rates have been rising. Because in the municipal bond world, when interest rates go up, the bond value or the bond prices actually go down. So at the end of the day, when, when you look at the municipal bond world, and let's suppose that you're in a 22% tax bracket right now. You're saying, okay, I want to buy a municipal bond fund or a municipal bond. What does my taxable equivalent yield have to be on the other side to make it a profitable endeavor for myself? So if you have the choice of getting two bonds, one that's tax-free federally and, and you're in a 22% tax bracket, and then one that's taxable to you, the taxable bond has to be 3.85% or higher if you're in a 22% tax bracket, and then that way you'll be, you'll be even. So if, you're, if you have the choice of getting a 4% bond that you have to pay taxes on or a 3% bond and you're in a 22% tax bracket, then as long as the taxable bond is higher than 3.85%, then you're going to be better off getting the taxable bond. So a lot of times the taxable bonds will give you a better opportunity to not lose principal value as interest rates rise, whereas the municipal bonds won't do that. So if you're in a 32% tax bracket, 
you need to be earning 4.41% on your bond versus getting a 3% tax-free bond. So there's a little chart here that, that, that really stops and breaks it down and takes a good look at it all. Now, one of the interesting scenarios here in, in the, the new tax jobs and uh, uh, tax jobs, tax cuts and job act, excuse me, is that a lot of corporations that own muni bonds went from 35 percent down to 21 percent. And corporations, they usually own you know, a little bit less than 30 percent of the muni bond market, but that's a lot of bonds out there. So that could hold down the prices as, or the, the yields and prices as well because they may be able to, to be more selective on the future bonds that they purchase. We might not see as much demand for these types of bonds in the future depending on how the corporations want to act with it all. Uh, so there's a couple of other things too. Advanced refunding on the bonds was, was sort of eliminated by this this uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which was the ability to people pay off the bonds early and reissue a new one for people. So, so lots of little twists and turns in the municipal bond market here. Very, very interesting. And I was explaining to somebody the other day, the time that you really want to look to buy these types of bonds or your longer-term government bonds is really when, when the economy starts to slow down and stall, then you're going to see interest rates coming down. That's when you want to lock in your higher interest rate after it climbs for the next few years. And then the interest rates start to lower, the bond prices will be going up, and you will be sitting at a, at a locked-in higher interest rate. So, you know, be careful with, with the muni market right now. Um, as, as far as all that goes. And, and the reason I say that is because a lot of people depend and they like their tax-free income during retirement years. And I get it and I understand it and agree with it. But, you know, again, there's times for different different scenarios there. You got to maximize it for sure. You can find the right timing on that, it sounds like. Well, yes, that, that is the key point, Chris. You want to maximize it and, and make sure that your income is being delivered from a reliable source. So you take a look at the taxable equivalent chart. And, and the muni market you know, today is around 3% or so. So if you compare 3% tax-free and you're in a 32% tax bracket, then on the taxable side, you need to earn 4.41%. Again, the taxable side of the bond market will enable you if you if you decide to get like floating rate funds and things like that to not have the interest rate risk as bond prices go up and 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 uh, I'm sorry as interest rates go up and bond prices go down. So, now that I've thoroughly confused the entire bond world out there, okay. I'm only half is, cross-eyed here. Just, yeah, exactly, which is which is, you know, just uh, it's so easy to see on these charts, but it's so difficult to explain and a lot of times to comprehend. Bonds are very confusing to a lot of people that don't really understand how they work and they did, that they don't really understand why they work, why they move up and down. You would think if interest rates are going up and I own bonds, I'm very happy, but no, boom, my bond prices go down. Unless you're on the other side of the bond street, Chris, and floating rate funds, then they go up in value then. So you need to understand how to play the bond world. And, and at, you know, here, here uh, uh, again, to sort of focus on this, you know, we have, have 10,000 people turning seven, 70 and a half every day in America, and that's going to happen for about another 23 years. And when you get into your retirement years, you want to have, less risk, and more dependable streams of income, so people look to bonds. So basically, understand how your bond portfolios are working today. You're starting to see a lot of your bonds in your portfolios go negative. 
And if that's the case, then you may want to consider looking at what we call the other side of the Bond Street there. So, hey, I see we're coming up on, on a break. Give us a ring at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. If there are any of your questions at all, if you have questions on bonds or munis or whatever it is, give us a ring, 855-ROSE-123. I'm Larry Rosenthal. We'll be back in a moment with more of your Making Money Sense. You are listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. Housing prices and interest rates have started to move up. This may be your last chance to take advantage of low rates and housing bargains. If you're considering purchasing a home within the next year, you need to call Troy Turow at McLean Mortgage First to take advantage of his Loan First program. This can give you a winning bid over the competition, even when you come up against cash offers. The Loan First program will have you fully pre-approved so that you understand all aspects of your loan before you start looking for your dream home. Buying confidence when you have your Loan First certificate, which shows the seller your loan is already pre-approved and they can avoid any unnecessary negative surprises at settlement. Troy's been helping homeowners for over 20 years in the D.C. metro area, and he and his team are ready to help you. Call him today at 571-490-7117. That's 571-490-7117 for your loan first pre-approved certificate, 571-490-7117, or simply visit his website at anyhomeloans.com. Remember, you want control when you're making an offer on a home. Get your loan first certificate. Call Troy Turow at McLean Mortgage. 571-490-7117. Troy Turow and McLean Mortgage Corporation's NMLS number 5618 and 99665. You're listening to the Larry Rosenthal Show. Just to give you a little Cinco de Mayo kind of music there, Larry. Kind of feels I a little like bit. like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us a call at 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123 to talk to your financial planner in studio right now. Larry. Sure. Let's walk and go. Let's go ahead and welcome. Uh, ah, she's still being talked to. Yeah, there you go. There we are. Good morning, Harley. How can I help you? Uh, yes. Um, I just listened to you talking about municipal bonds, and you're talking about um, the uh, 72% uh, tax bracket. What about those people who are in... Um, lower uh, tax brackets or salaries uh, in their 30s or 40s. So, uh, yeah, I didn't mention 70, 72% tax bracket. I mentioned 22. So the tax brackets today are 22, 24, 32, 35, and 37. Okay? So the way you do the math is this, is if you're in a 22% tax bracket and you're looking at purchasing a 3% tax-free municipal bond, you have the choice of getting a tax-free municipal bond at 3% or a taxable bond. As long as the taxable bond is over 3.85, then you would be a, you would be better off getting the, the taxable bond because when the 3.85% the comes in and you pay taxes on it, it'll equal the same thing as 3% tax-free if you're in a 22% bracket. Okay. Uh, so sort of also my my uh, concern was uh, someone making, say, 35000 40000 uh, Would they be able to afford uh, the municipal bond? So they should probably look at a taxable bond at that case because their interest is going to be higher. So if they're in a lower bracket, you know, where they're not paying taxes, then you want to look at the, the – um, uh, 
taxable bonds, your interest will be higher, and you're not going to pay tax on it because of your, your $24,000 exemption that you have now. Okay. So when you say you're not going to pay taxes on it, that means that uh, your biweekly um, salary well, I mean, it's, uh, is it's not still, going to be taxed? Look, no, no, hold on a second. Let me let me rephrase that there. I, I, I may have misspoke my message. Because of the new tax benefits, when you have uh, a lower income, you'd be better off paying a, getting a taxable bond for yourself because the interest is higher. There's a good chance you're not going to have to pay taxes on all of that because of the exemptions and things that you currently have going on under the new Tax Cuts Jobs Act. Uh-huh. So I would so so somebody who's in a lower income bracket, I would suggest that they look at getting a taxable bond versus the municipal tax free bond. Okay, okay, that that's understandable. That's understandable. Uh, thank thank you so much. You're quite welcome. If you'd like some information on it, I'd be happy to send it out to you. Okay, I'll um, email you. Okay, sounds wonderful. Appreciate the phone call. You listen to Making Money Sense. Give us a ring at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Again, Chris, the taxable equivalent yield of bonds, one of the very confusing scenarios. This is why I often meet bondholders that aren't too happy. You know, well, which which bond should I have? And interest rates are going up, and and uh, my bonds are going down in value. What, what should we be doing, you know? So... Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> make a long story short. There you go. I don't think I'd be buying bonds unless I felt like somebody told me to for a specific reason. It, it, I, I guess it's just because they're the ones that you can get some income out of if you're structuring them correctly in the end, right? It's just, well, their income, that, that's what they're for is income in the end, right? Correct. The primary investment objective of bonds is current income. Mm-hmm. And in conclusion, when you're looking at a bond allocation in your portfolio, you need to see what's going on with interest rates. That that's the big message here. The you know the the bottom line is is our interest rates moving up or are they moving down? Today they're moving up, so there are certain types of bonds that do bad in interest rates that go up. There are certain types of bonds that do well when interest rates are going up. Okay. So those are the two lanes of traffic you want to consider yourself to go in. Then you say, okay, now. What about the taxes on the investment of the bonds? So breaking it down further, now we say, okay, one side of the street gives us tax-free income. The other side gives us taxable income. Sounds like a Roth versus a non-traditional you know, Roth. Well, you know, I mean, not, not quite because here I can really mess, you, mess up with you now because <laughs> if you make a capital – if, if your principal value grows in a tax-free municipal bond, you still end up paying capital gains tax on that. Okay. <laughs> it's just yeah. the interest that's tax-free. Okay. So uh, anyway, so we'll break this down another day, okay? okay. We've, we've beat this thing as much as we're going to yeah, beat Yeah, I'm, I'm now fully cross-eyed. I was only half-cross-eyed before, but now I'm fully cross-eyed. I did a bad job on this. So. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's good information. It's very good information to have for sure. Yeah, but it, it's difficult to sort of break down over the airways without – people seeing charts and graphs and things like that. Once you see it, you'll go, oh, now I see what you're talking about. Right right there, gotcha. there, there, and there. Gotcha. So anyway. Um, so, hey, new look at old retirement savings guidelines is out in the news these days. And, um, uh, you know, you, you've heard, you know, how much you should save for retirement. A lot of people say, oh, you should save 10% of, 10% of your pay for retirement. Other people say you should save 15 
Other people say you should save 20. It just really depends, right? It depends on your age when you start saving and the standard of living that you want to maintain when you're in your retirement years. So there's a few strategies of, of, of all of this. Remember, at, at the very least, when you start to save money for your retirement, you, you should at least put in what your employer matches. You know, if your employer is matching you, let's say, 5% and you're putting in 5 then you're saving 10% right there. And so think about that. that that's, that's huge money. Don't leave money on the table. If your employer's matching you five and you're only putting in two, you're leaving money on the table. Okay? So make sure that you try and, try and do that. So what, what are you, what, 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 how much should you be saving going towards it? And so there, new surveys are out on, on all this stuff. And this is by EBRI, Employee Benefit Research Institute, here in 2017. It's the latest data that we had. But it's percentage of people who are somewhat confident about having enough money for a comparable, for a comfortable retirement. So in, in 2007, let's back this up, in 2007, 70% of people working said, hey, I'm going to have a comfortable retirement. While in 2007, 79% of people that were already retired said, hey, I'm good to go. I'm going to have a comfortable retirement. Fast forward now to 2017. Kind of interesting. 79% of people that are retired say, I'm having a comfortable retirement. The number hasn't changed. Whereas in 2017, workers are saying, people that are working, 60% of them are saying, I think I can have a comfortable retirement. So the confidence level has dropped by 10%. And, and in looking at the, the, the numbers here, they all dropped in 2011 and 16, but they came back up in 2017. So I'm wondering here, what is the discrepancy? Where has the confidence level been lost from 2007 to 2017 by workers? But at the same time, people that are retired in 2007, again, a year before the financial crisis, have the same confidence level in 2017. What is it? Where is it? And and I think that part of that is actually the spending on inflation dollars. I think that people that are retired have a much more keen effect of of what's going on in their in their spending versus people that are working. And I think that part of the issue is people aren't realizing that their money's not going as far because of inflation. So for the first time, we've started to – in the first time, February 5th of 2018, we've actually started to see wages go up. I think that's part of the scenario there. So it, it rolls back to the question of how, what percent of your salary should you be saving. Another part of the, you know, the great strategies out there, old retirement strategies that may no longer hold water these days – is you take the percentage of your stock of stock in your portfolio should equal a hundred minus your age. So Chris, if 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 somebody who is forty years old does this rule, a hundred minus forty, then they should have sixty percent of their money in stocks and forty percent of their money in bonds. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great idea, but you know what? This this um, uh, scenario came back came out in the eighties and the nineties on on how to figure this out. So was the 4% rule, or the 4% rule was. But my point is this, is you're living a lot longer. Now, what happens when you're 60? Now you're saying you take 60 away from 100, 40% of your money should be in stocks and 60% in bonds. 
in your retirement savings portfolio. Well, you know what? That may or may not be correct. It may be a good place to start doing the math on this stuff. But again, you have to take a look at what's happening in the economy, where you want your income coming from, how conservative you want to be versus how risky you want to be, and the length of time that you're going to have during your retirement years. So so using the, oh, just save 10% and you're good to go, may not work. Using the 100 minus your age rule for stock to bond mixture may not work either anymore. And then a lot of people also are working off of the 70% rule as well, which people say, hey, you need 70% of your pre-retirement income to live on. To me, I always laugh at this. People say, well, now it's 80. So sometimes people say, well, I hear that I need between 70 and 80% of my pre-retirement income to live on in my retirement years. And I look at people and go, well, do you like your standard of living right now? And they say, well, yeah, it's okay. It's pretty good. So well, why don't we run the financial plan based off of that and see where you are? Why do you want to take a pay cut in retirement years, right? Of course not. You don't want to do that. Think, think about it. That's, that's exactly right. You, don't, you probably don't want to do that, okay? <laughs> so, so you know, when you, when you boil it all down and you, and you, you say, okay, well, ta- how do I figure it out? What's the heart? You know, it's very difficult. I was I was meeting with somebody just a couple of weeks ago, and they were just perplexed at this. How do I figure out how much money I need? And they were they had the spreadsheets, and they're going through all this stuff. And I said, Hold on a second. You're going about this the long way and the wrong way. Let me just ask you a question. Do you like your standard of living today? And they said, Yeah. I'm repeating myself here, but the the illustration just came to my mind here of of, of working with this working with this person. I said, you know, do you like your 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 cash flow today? And they said, yeah, it's reasonable. I like it. Okay, well, how much is your net income? Well, let's see. I make blah blah blah. No, no, I don't care what you make. You make a, a certain amount of money, and then you pay taxes on it. You put money in your retirement plan. You 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 do this that and the other. When your money gets deposited after everything is pulled out of it and it gets deposited into your checking account, how much is it? And they say it's X. Okay, how many times a year is it? Okay, 26 times a year. Guess what? That's what you're living off of. Oh, so I don't need all these spreadsheets and tracking all this. Well, you know, if you want to, that's fine, but this is what you're living off of. Now let's run the financial plan according to that and see if what you're doing now is on pace to accomplish those goals and objectives for you. And if that's the case then That's your maybe you don't have to settle for living on 70 or 80% during your retirement years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so stop and think about that. That's 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 important. How much of this is also pensions and things that have gone away over time that people lose their confidence? So that before it was like, I've got a pension, I'm good. I can live on that. I've got Social Security. I've got that. They had sort of a guaranteed baseline where that's kind of faded away and gone over time. It is. You know, I think 23% of them of, – of uh, working people out there have a pension plan right now. So the baseline of it is gone away, and those that have one are very, very blessed. So your baseline on fixed guaranteed income that's coming in is Social Security. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it's dependent upon your savings and investments if you don't have a pension. If you have a pension, you get another slice of guaranteed fixed income coming in as well. So you have to really build the 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 picture, if you will, just just picture this, Chris, so that you can sort of get a, a, a good feeling and, and grasp what the ladder or the puzzle pieces look like in building your retirement income, excuse me, scenario. 
the first layer is is uh, let's suppose that you say, hey, I want five thousand dollars a month of after tax spendable income. So the first layer will be Social Security. Let's suppose Social Security for you and your spouse brings in two thousand dollars a month, and you don't have a pension. Now you have three thousand dollars a month that is dependent upon what? Is dependent upon you continuing to work after retirement if you choose, or is depending upon your savings and investments. So let's suppose that you're that, that a piece of your savings is a rental property. We talked about rental properties at the top of the show. Let's suppose a piece of your savings and investments is a rental property, and that's giving you $1,000 a month. Now you have $3,000 a month of the 5000 that you need. The other 2000 are going to be dependent upon your savings and investments. Where are your savings and investments at? They're usually in the bank, stock, and bond markets, right? So now you're going to have to manage those, the, the markets over changing economies for 20, 30 years in your retirement life. There you go. That, that, that's what you're talking about. That's sort of the vision on how to build it. Then you look at all the different products and, and, and strategies that you can use to, to, to force cash flow into your retirement years. You can look at, you know, uh, just different investment strategies and, and products and things like that. Uh, but, you know, still, too, one of the scenarios that, uh, that we're talking about here today is, is in, in this story is, you know, a, a new look at old retirement savings guidelines. And we talked about saving just 10 percent. Maybe you need to save more. We talked about the percentage of stock equaling 100 minus your age. We talked about you need 70 to 80 percent of your income. And, and the other one, the one of the most famous ones, which was developed in the 1990s, okay, uh, for a 30-year retirement span. And the little part of this that people don't understand is that you needed to have 50% of your money in a large-cap growth stocks. Is the safe, quote-unquote, safe 4% withdrawal rate. So if you take 4% out of your investments each year, chances are you're not going to run out of money in a 30-year retirement if you have 50% of your money in large-cap stocks. Well, there's no guarantee to that, right? It's just a sort of a model with it all. So do you need to take out 4%? Some years you might take out 6%. Some years you might take out 2%. It just depends how much money that you have and what's going on in the markets and the economy. Then there's another scenario, too, which is pulling money out and putting it into what we call quiet pools, where, where money that you're going to spend in the next one to three years is in a place such as the bank, where you're not it's not subject to, to principal forces uh, going up and down through the economy, forcing your principal to go up and down in value while you're withdrawing money. So at the end of the day, there's a, there's a handful of different investment strategies or withdrawal strategies, I should say, that people sort of sit back and they look at the guidelines of all this stuff. And remember, this is not your grandparents' money. This is not your grandparents' length of, of life expectancy. Yeah. This is a different market, a different economy, and different life expectancies going on. And a lot of these rules came out a long, long time ago. That's been sort of passed down, you know. So, so uh, you know, you you need to understand how to go about doing that. And and what we're talking about here really is the second stage of financial planning. If you break it down into three stages between accumulation, then distribution and income and then legacy planning. So the distribution and income stage is, is one of the most complicated stages that we have to deal with. 
Uh, and that's what we're sort of breaking down right now for us. So give us a ring at 855-ROSE-123. We're going to take a quick break here. We'll be back more of your Making Money Sense. Listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855 Rose 123. That's 855 767 3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. Remember those kids that you keep your kids away from? Those kids that society doesn't seem to know what to do with? That kid you saw on the street corner last week? Remember that kid that, well, you feel sorry for? The dropout, the pregnant teen, the drug addict. Those are the kids that Youth for Tomorrow wants to reach. And Youth for Tomorrow has reached nearly 800 children since opening its doors in 1986. That's 800 young men and women helped to become responsible and effective members of society. The founder and chairman of Youth for Tomorrow, former Washington Redskins coach and current NASCAR team owner Joe Gibbs, says if we don't do what we can to influence our young people, there are plenty of others who will in the wrong direction. For more information about Youth for Tomorrow, call 703-368-7995 or go to youthfortomorrow.org. You can help turn a negative into a positive. Call 703-368-7995 or go to youthfortomorrow.org. You're listening to The Larry Rosenthal Show. If you'd like to dial in, here's your telephone number, 855-767-3123. Ask any questions you have about your portfolio, your personal finances, how to invest correctly in today's market. You can get them all answered by our professional retirement expert here in studio, Larry Rosenthal. Larry. So, Chris, Chris, in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, it says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that in your labor the Lord is not. Uh, be, I'm sorry, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Mm, amen. Yep, absolutely. I want to talk a little bit now about uh, uh, the cost of caregiving. Okay. The cost of caregiving. Last week we talked a little bit about the sandwich generation, where we have people that are having to take care of, that they're in retirement and they're having to take care of elderly parents, either physically or financially, combination of both, and at the same time sometimes taking care of adult kids who may actually be out of the home, but they're still tied financially to the umbilical cord a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that's the sandwich generation, which is what's going on right now. We, we see this. I see this all the time with people. And, and so there's about 40 million family caregivers today in the United States. These are, these are, these are people that, that have uh, – that they're taking care of, of elderly parents or one parent. And along with that comes a lot of uh, financial sacrifices. And I want to give you some websites – uh, that you can go out and, and, and check out, you know, different different ideas and, and, and things of that nature. So if you want, we'll be happy to send you those websites if you wanted to, to give us a ring, 855-ROSE-123, or go to my website and shoot me out an email. I'll be happy to, to send you out that information. But the percent of family caregivers who report the following changes, uh, I'm reading from this survey here. This is by AARP in 2016. Their financial habits or careers, multiple uh, scenarios are, are taking place, but basically, 35% of people 
saying, yes, I am helping my, my parents either, uh, uh, you know, with their health care, um, they have to cut back on their own personal spending because they come up with out-of-pocket scenarios, uh, extra money for, for here or there. Uh, very, you know, difficult subject to talk about. I've, I've had many, many clients over the year ask about how to go about doing this, this with their siblings, you know, who one, one child is close to the parents in, geographically, another child might be all the way across the country. You know, what's the story there? How does all this work out? Lots of family dynamics happening in, in all of this. So it's important to really sort of have what we call an FM, a family meeting, in, in talking about how are we going to, you know, help, help in, in scenarios here. Uh, 30% of people have said they've had to dip into their own personal savings. So, so you've got 35% who say, hey, I'm cutting back on, on, on personal spending because we need to help. 30% also said, I've had to dip into personal savings and come out of pocket. Another 16% say, I'm, I'm forced to save less in my own retirement accounts because of out-of-pocket costs to help aging parents. You know, and it's a, it, so. What are you going to do? Not do it? No, of course you're not not going to do it, right? You got to help you, their family, right? Yes, exactly. That's exactly correct. And so when you when you start looking at this, you know, I, I was thinking, well, you know, last week we again we talked about the sandwich generation. I had some people asking me about it, and I actually had a pastor ask me about it this this past week. What is the sam fam, the sandwich generation you were talking about? And I explained it to him, and he was just like, you know, I see that it makes a lot of sense. And, and um, uh, you know, going down this, this, this list further, 14% said that they reduced their own medical spending. In other words, they cut out their own medical stuff in order to help. Uh, Aging parents, you mean? Yes, exactly. Um, 11% said they actually dipped into their own retirement plans and pulled money out. Okay. Mm. Uh, 10% took out a loan or borrowed money. And I see this a lot. I'm surprised this is this is well not a lot, but I'm surprised this is so low, but I'm seeing it more. People are retiring early out of their career in order to help take care of parents. Huh. Yep. Or they're resigned from their job, another four percent. So so there's sort of the list of what's going on. Again, the source AARP two thousand and sixteen latest data on it. And and you know, there's lots of scenarios here that, that you can Go into and and get assistance. Educate yourself on this. You know, one of the things is people are talking about, you know, preserving your own assets. On, on the average, people spend about seven thousand dollars a year annually of their own out-of-pocket money. Uh, again, it falls under. What are you not going to do this? No, of course you're going to do this. But there are ways that you can plan for it. Is is what I'm saying. There, there's there's different. Places you can go to benefitscheckup.org, uh, which is a national council on aging. Um, they can help you there. Uh, take advantage of these different benefit places that are available. Benefitscheckup.org is is one place. We'll put these up on our website uh, for those of you that want, or give us a ring at eight five five Rose one two three. Happy to send you out these these uh, websites, or go to my website LarryRosenthal.com and shoot me off an email. Also, Elder Care Locator. Eldercare.gov, uh, you know th- that's that's a great website too. It's a per- it's a service of the U.S. Administration on Aging, and again, benefitscheckup.org. Another another uh, place is Family Caregiver Alliance, caregiver.org. 
Again, Family Caregiver Alliance, caregiver.org. And I don't want to turn this into a public service announcement scenario, but this does boil down into financial planning. Take it a step further, too, and make sure oftentimes people will go through this only to find out that their parents didn't update their beneficiary forms or their will wasn't in proper order the way they wanted it to be done or the trust wasn't funded. Make sure that you're able to talk to your parents about all of this so that you can make you know make sure that one day when they pass, you know, assets go according to their wishes in an extremely efficient manner and there's no hassles. Minimize probate exposure. All of that stuff goes in goes into the, all of this. So. Let me throw a crazy Ivan at you. Um, when you think of the other end of that spectrum, there's also the scenario today where young people are not leaving the home, and you have to care for them a little bit longer because they're not able to be employed as easily and get an education and get a job as well. That's true. A lot of young people aren't leaving the home because they can't afford the wages with the student loans. Exactly. Or they're, they're not finding the job that they want, you know, which brings me back to something that I saw earlier this week or, or, or a little bit earlier actually today. Purdue University, okay, announced, Chris, that, uh, that, uh, uh, that they're going to keep their tuition, their in-state tuition, the same for 2019 and 2020, $9,992. Huh. Okay, big deal, right? Yeah. Guess what? It's the eighth consecutive year they haven't raised the rates. Purdue. Huh. Yep. Kind of interesting, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. The president of Purdue is Mitch Daniels, former uh, Office of Management Budget Director. Good for him. Yeah, kind of interesting there. So, you know, when you when you talk about that, it's just a little stat that I threw out, uh, which I find. It's expensive to get an education, and kids just, once they've done it, it they're, they're saddled with that debt of student loans and all of that if forever, for a yep. long time anyway. If they're fortunate enough to get through it without the debt, then that, that can really help That'd them awesome, get, yeah. get a good start, no, no, no doubt about it. So, you know, you got the Family Caregiver Alliance. You also have the, the Caregiver Action Network, which is caregiveraction.org. Uh, and then the National uh, Institute of Aging, nia.nih.gov. And then, of course, AARP Caregiving. So, so you know, there's, there's, again, a multitude of resources that people can go on the web and check and get educated on uh, to, to do all this. You know, there's, there's also strategies, too, about, you know, taking care of the Family Leave Act. You know, have, have you investigated that? Have you talked to your employer about saying, you know, I need to change my work hours. I need to have some, some, some stuff where I can do at home or I need to, to double up on a day because I need to be over here on a Wednesday or something like that. You know, a lot of times your, your employer will be very flexible uh, in, in enabling you to, to do these types of things. So uh, also make sure that you get a break as well. So very difficult subject to talk about. You know, it falls under long-term care needs it falls under estate planning wills trust beneficiary forms and it also falls under being stuck you know not stuck but but being in the the uh, 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 sandwich generation of taking care of elderly parents and sometimes uh, adult kids helping them out financially as well so again if you want any information on it give us a ring 855 rose one two three or go to my website larryrosenthal.com. Brings us to the close of a show here today. We're going to be rolling out our new tax seminar here uh, shortly uh, with all the tax changes, so stay tuned for that. So for Bob in the back and Chris McKay, I'm Larry Rosenthal. Have a wonderful week, and we'll be back next Saturday with another session of your Making Money Sense.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.